Distazapod 148, my friends, we have so much to cover today. I'm not even going to bother with an intro, cut to a song, come back, hop in. We're going to get right to it because uh, this is a fully loaded episode. First up, the calendar. Let's talk about this. There are some important dates coming up. Monday, June 15th, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. This is going to be a very small Action Figure of the Month second chance sale. There will also be two new Frankenslice figures, including one of Nikki Fung's original creations. You're not going to want to miss this. Now, there are such low quantities for each of these items. I am not able to sort of offer it early to our patrons, as I typically do. Uh, Be there on time. This is going to be a, uh, a store opening that will probably have a lot of traffic and a lot of people gunning for the same thing. So let's be strategic and smart about what you're going after. Uh, then we're going to loop around to the following Monday, June 22nd, and again at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, the store will reopen. Now, this date could change because it is dependent on certain product arriving from overseas. It's been a very rocky uh, series of logistic mishaps over the past three or four weeks, understandably, but still frustrating. So bear in mind, this could change, but right now I'm planning on Monday, June 22nd, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, Subsidy Supply Drop Part 3 will launch. This will be all the remaining figures, with the exception of Vector Jump Death and Mustard Classic. Neither of those figures will likely be offered to the public. Now, things could change, but this is, this is where I am today. Uh, I just don't have enough spare inventory of either of those to do a public sale. I do apologize. I'm sure there's some disappointed people here. But uh, the truth is these were pre-order items, and the order was cut pretty damn close to what people pre-ordered. I'm sorry if this excludes newer customers that didn't know about the pre-order store last year. Uh, but there, it's just going to be a bloodbath if I if I put any of them up. So um, I'm not going to bother with that. But you can look forward to all the remaining styles from Subsidy Supply Drop heading into the store. If you have a Subsidy Supply Drop pre pre order from November of last year, uh, most of it's packed up right now. I've actually made some great progress there. And by the end of the month, or by the time that this fulfillment for the June 22nd sale happens, uh, you should be getting the rest of your goods. So that's a very happy occasion. Then I'm going to attempt to take a week off. We'll see. The first week of July, leading into the 4th, I want to do as little as possible. Um, I will probably get bored and end up doing stuff, but I don't have a sale planned. Um, I'm trying to time it out so that July 6th, Monday, July 6th, is when Action Figure of the Month for July should start arriving for most people. Um, This is, uh, I don't want to overstate this, but I think this is going to be our biggest month. I think Action Figure of the Month for July is going to be incredibly, incredibly surprising for people. Um, It may end up being polarizing. Some people may love it. Some people may hate it. Uh, it will deliver on a secret that I think very few, I know very few people have seen. Um, it's going to be really interesting. I can't wait. I'm very excited for people to get this in their hands. Uh, I don't anticipate having July's Action Figure of the Month available for Second Chance Sale, but I do anticipate making some version of it available to patrons. So... If you're on the fence about joining Patreon, the best strategic time for you to do so would likely be around July 1st or 2nd, so that you're not charged for June, you start the month of July fresh, and you will have access to this action figure of the month for July, or some form of it. I don't want to say too much. I don't want to spoil it. Um, it I promise you it's going to be worth it. I also have a really cool gift for $25 patrons and, and $5 patrons, frankly, for the month of July, that's going to be worth the price uh, you pay to enroll anyway. Um, I don't want to say much more on this. I just sort of got the green light to do this. I'm excited. You guys are going to freak out, I think. I hope. I hope you will. We'll see. Uh, then 
so uh, that's probably our most important week. That kicks off the week of July 6th. That Saturday, July 11th, is going to be Toy Pizza Con Online. Now, last year we were lucky enough to do a big live event, our own convention. The turnout was way more than we anticipated. It was huge. There was a line out the door. It was incredible. I didn't actually know so many people like Toy Pizza and wanted to travel to come and see us. We had people flying in from California to come see us. It was it was fantastic. It breaks my heart that we can't do it again this year in person, but that's not going to stop the momentum. We're going to do an online live event. Uh, it's probably going to start around 12 with the store reopening at 1. And in that hour live stream, we're going to have special guests. I'm going to show you projects that nobody else has seen. Not even patrons. There are some stuff that's been uh, percolating that you guys don't even know. So everybody, with the exception of myself and maybe Matt Dowdy and one or two other artisans who have helped us, um, there are major, major reveals coming to the Toy Pizza online stream. And um, you guys, you don't even know what's laying in wait. You're going to freak out. I promise you, you're going to freak out. Not only is there going to be new project announcements, I'm also going to finally deliver on some long gestating projects. Now, in this one hour, I'm not going to be able to speak to every single project that I've shared or teased out or that I want to do, but maybe there hasn't been forward movement on. I'm just going to focus on two or three really big things and really big announcements and some special guests that are going to help us do that. Um, and I'm also going to show off the Toy Pizza Con exclusive bundle. There's going to be some exclusives this year, just like last year. It's going to be a smaller bundle than last year. I think we had six items, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it's going to be smaller. It'll be like three or four key Toy Pizza Con items. We will open the store at the same time. You guys will get to all go in and, uh, pick these figures up. There will be an early bundle for patrons that week. If they don't want to sort of wait for the Toy Pizza Con online live stream, they don't want to fight the crowd, they can secure their pre-order for that bundle ahead of time. And I think that that's uh, going to be very appealing to people. I'm very excited about the exclusives we have lined up also. They are <laughs> they are really, really, really killer. I've held off on a couple styles. I really have been anxious to share, but I knew that the best maximum impact would be at our five-year anniversary, celebrating at Toy Pizza Con, with the hope that maybe next year we can go back to doing a live in-person event if uh, everything blows over. Um, so mark that on your calendar. We're going to have a sort of Facebook event invite set up at some point so you can, you know, uh, you can sort of have all the details and attend that Facebook page. It's going to be really exciting. I've been working quite a bit on doing it. And uh, I think it's it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. Um, we also have a lot of publishing initiatives that are almost coming to fruition. There is a Rex Gannon book that is really fantastic. Gavin Mackey has done the art. Myself and Matt Bandle, who's a uh, dedicated patron, wrote this story probably a decade ago, and now we're finally getting to complete the story and tell the entire arc. It is it is truly fantastic. I love it. Um, I'm very excited about that. I don't know when exactly that's going to debut. I don't know in what form. Maybe it's a black and white, smaller scale comic, and we do a color one later. I'm not sure, but I'm excited about that. Knights of the Slice, the original Brick, Lime, and Teal comic book story arc, which will comprise of issues one through five, is almost done. And I'm hyper excited about this. I can't wait to share it. This is a story I sort of wanted to finish within the first year of Knights of the Slice and was never able to. And I can finally say we're, we're at the end zone. We're getting super close to this. Um, I, again, I don't know how to get this best out to you guys. I will probably do a fully printed, fully colored collection of all four issues and um, have that available because I think it's 
I think it's really fantastic stuff. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I will make that available as soon as I am able. Um, there's going to be a question later on from Facebook about Turbo Atoll. Uh, Turbo Atoll is this big, massive, expansive graphic novel project that myself and Ian Emling have been working on for, I guess, a, a couple months at this point. Um, this is probably over 100 pages. It is a beautiful, beautiful graphic novel. This is a story that ties together everything. It not only has Marson in it and the Trilobite Kingdom, it has Rex Gannon in it, Vaughn makes an appearance, Cyber Mama's there. We finally learn more about the Hackermen. And, most importantly of all, there is a very beautiful, one of the best folks, a beautiful, beautiful race at the end of it. Not, not race as in sort of genetic identity. I mean race as in cars going fast and going through around a track. So, um, this is going to be a really fantastic book. It is not going to be ready until later this year, I think, but I'm trying to think about ways to serialize it so that we can have chapters introduced alongside figures leading up to the full book. Um, don't quote me on that and give me some time to kind of sort it out. It's a complicated thing, but that's that's where my head's at. It, uh, I'm very excited about it. So... What we're looking at here is a handful of really important new stories and comics to read. We're looking at Toy PizzaCon, our online event. We're looking at an, a plethora of store updates and brand new exclusive items. This is really the best time to be a Knights of the Slice fan. Um, I have full-colored Hackermen on deck. I have more full-colored Radix on deck. I have secret projects that are coming around the bend. We have, finally, these amazing stories we'll be able to, to finish and share together. This is truly, truly the most exciting time. And it's all going to culminate in Toy Pizza Con on July 11th. This is when we get to celebrate together. This is a high watermark through the adversity of the global stage and the world we're looking at now, we can still allow ourselves joy, we can come together, and we can appreciate the escapism that is Knights of the Slice and this community that we've all built together. And I think that's wonderful. I, I think as bad as things are, you're only letting evil win if you deny yourself joy. So we're going to celebrate despite all the adversity that's out there in the world. One final note, um, if you've looked at the store lately, you have probably noticed that both Hackerman have sold out, and now Radic is gone too. There has been a huge influx of brand new customers. I'm seeing names I've never seen before. Um, part of it, I think, is um, Dan at Toy Galaxy gave us a really nice post on Instagram, and that juiced us into having a bunch of new customers. Michael Scottam has been promoting his work on the Hackerman figure, uh, Draculaser, for those who know and follow him. I think that also brought in a bunch of people. Uh, we're at a really interesting critical mass. There, there's a huge amount of new people discovering us, and this is where it gets really interesting. Because as far as we've been able to go as a very small insular community, where I know everybody's names and where they live, and um, that sounded ominous, you know what I mean. Um, we're now sort of gaining attention from outsiders. And that can be a bad thing in some respects, but largely it's a good thing. Because the more people that buy my figures, especially something like Hackerman that was very expensive, that took a long time to develop, the more these appeal to a bigger market, the more new figures I can make for you guys. And it's potentially a scary thing, but this is, this is the direction we want to be heading in. I've had a lot of people sort of reach out and say, you know, I never, I, I don't like Power Ranger type figures or Sentai type figures. Um, I do not, I'm not, I wasn't into Vector Jump. 
I, you know, I'm not into military figures. I never bought a desert rat. But people are starting to connect with the madness of this world. And it's, it's really about Hackerman. And then I think people are going back and seeing Raddick and starting to appreciate him. So uh, I'm, I'm really juiced and I'm excited because if I can keep selling the numbers I sold on Hackerman, even a, even a smaller amount, uh, I'm going to be able to generate significant funds more quickly and that means more and more tooling, more and more new figures. You know, that is sort of what I'm here to do. I want to build a library of oddball characters that never had the right to exist in the standard world of retail or anywhere else. All these forgotten heroes, all these these ideas that everybody told me no on, we're doing it together. We're putting together not just, you know, uh, one character that's kind of odd and out there. We're building an entire army of different creations. And it's really, it's super exciting. It's finally working. I guess that's my point here, is that after toiling for five years and you guys supporting and spreading the word and prophetizing, you know, the order of the Knights of the Slice and sharing your builds and your fan art, it is finally working. We are starting to connect with people that are toy collectors but don't know anything about us, never listened to a podcast, haven't seen us on YouTube. This is true organic discovery, and it's very exciting. And I want to thank all of you for the work you've done. And don't worry, we're going to keep our core people and our core community intact you know, whether it's through the Facebook and the great policing you guys do there, or through Discord, which is Patreon only and a, a very a burgeoning sort of uh, platform that people are connecting on, or the Patreon, which, you know, has a modest paywall to keep out outside agitators, I guess you'd say. Um, so we we can have it both. We can have... A general, a bigger general audience that finds us and keep the core things that make Knights of the Slice great, we can keep that intact. And uh, I'm super excited and I just wanted to mention that and thank you guys. Okay, so going to hop into Patreon questions now. And uh, what I did was not only solicited questions from you guys, I had a question for my patrons. And I was basically asking, what is the best pre-Marvel Legends Toy Biz figure? And I'm asking this because that line was hugely influential to me. It was a game changer, getting that first brown Wolverine. And I've been thinking a lot about that toy line and its legacy because I think we're really close to that now. I think that Raddick and Hackerman make me feel the same way I used to feel when I would get one of those early X-Men figures or some of the Spider-Man figures. Um, the thickness and the posability and the accessories, I, I feel like I've come so close to something that makes me feel that way. Now, look, my toy line is completely unsophisticated and will never be as good as that, but in terms of striving for a target, a goal to hit, I feel like together we're getting really, really close to that idea, to what makes that line great. I think we might have managed to slice off a thin little piece of excellence, and uh, it makes me feel really good. So I wanted to hear from you guys, what were the sort of, what's what's the best Toy Biz pre-Marvel Legends figure? Uh, Joe on Patreon says that uh, the Toy Biz Spider-Hulk is his favorite. Now, that was a, a great big creature. It was not one that I had. And um, I'm going to have to do a little research because uh, I, I tended to not like the monstrous characters with the exception of the Water Wars Venom, which was a fantastic figure. Um, Phil, Phil Ramirez sculpt, by the way. Um, so I got to look that one up. Uh, moving along, Eric Sylvie says Genesis was his favorite. Um, he was from the X-Force line. He could absorb energy. I like the figure because I've never seen or heard of him before. And 
The spine was a spine was a sick companion that he came with. Now it's funny because uh, actually, the Genesis figure is one that I've had my eye on for a little while. Uh, not because it was one I had when I was a kid, because it wasn't. I I know nothing about this character, but because I saw him with the helmet on in a eBay lot, and I couldn't I didn't know what figure that was, and it was a very intriguing thing. And I gotta say, with the helmet and the armor on, this this figure looks really cool. So it was uh, actually something that I've kind of been keeping an eye on, and I may pick up in the near future. I love removable helmets. I love removable armor. And I think that this uh, character sort of does a good job of, you know, delivering on that play pattern. Chris Solis also says that, you know, he's fond of the X4 subline and that Kane, uh was his pick. He hit all of the 90 notes of design and the figure with the action hand is pretty sweet. Uh, his question to me is, do I have a favorite giant robot, Gundam, Voltron, etc.? Any thoughts or opinions on the genre? Um, I feel pretty lukewarm about giant mech genre. I've watched a lot of them. I own a lot of toys from them. I actually have uh, a story I've wanted to do in that genre. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I, it's one of the more interesting genres. It's not one that I feel compelled to put ahead of my more character-based stories that I have in my queue. Um, Brandon Michael Barker, a fellow Glyos toy maker, also chimes in that Kane version 2 is a great pick and one of his favorites. Um, I did not have the Kane toy biz figure, but... Uh, my cousin did, and I got to play with it, and I thought it was a pretty damn cool figure, and more importantly, it was very reflective of Liefeld's art. I was obsessed with sort of X-Force at that time. Um, the Kane version 2 is certainly interesting, but it has this kind of giant propeller hand. I did actually have the big 10-inch figure of Kane version 2, um, and, uh, I think with a little, you know, exacto surgery, you could kind of uh, sort out that cane too to make him a bigger figure. I also, uh, I appreciate, oh, and I'm looking on eBay and somebody actually did just that. They snipped off the propeller plates. Um, I'm actually looking on eBay right now and I, I do prefer this, the skinnier version of Kane. Um, version two is kind of more bulkier, more of like a, a cable style silhouette. And I think that the skinnier version looks more like Liefeld's work. And, um, now I feel compelled to buy this figure. God damn you guys. Mark Wells chimes in with one that I actually agree with. Warstar. Huge metallic green robot came with a sidekick that could be stored inside of it. I'm 100% with you. I have this figure. I love it. The paint is amazing. I love the feature of the little mini guy that goes inside. Um, actually, that Warstar is a, a big piece of inspiration for Sen 5. And you guys will find out why in the near future. Jeff Ely has a couple picks and they're all pretty fantastic. It's a toss-up for him between Weapon X, pre-X-Force Cable, and Silver Samurai. Those are all solid picks. Um, I didn't have Silver Samurai, but I respect anything with electroplating. Brian Gloss actually picks the figure I was going to say is my favorite. Uh, here's his paragraph. That is such a tough question since there are so many qualifiers. I mean, the Marvel superheroes Cosmic Defenders thing is fantastic for its time. The X-Men Phoenix Saga Space Wolverine is just great toy design. Going outside Marvel, their Capcom video games were captivating for their time, including Resident Evil and Marvel vs. Capcom Captain Commando. Plus, they gave us the first accurate Mega Man for the American market. Then there are just plain silly ones like Spider-Man Web Splashers or Deep Sea Octopus. I think the greatest Toy Biz figure has to be Spider-Man Spider Power Series 2. J. Jonah Jameson with Transforming Spider Slayer Desk because it simply exists. Um, <laughs> that's these are all these are all great picks. I'm not going to give J.J. Jameson the the award for best ever, but I do agree. That I think Space Wolverine is probably the best figure, um, and it's. Not easy to say that because there are so many great ones, but um, yeah, I think it's Space Wolverine. Uh, I've there is a, a great Toy Boys episode of Destazapod where we talk about 
Toy Biz and their video game lines. Fantastic, fantastic stuff. And really, like, the early stages of Marvel Legends were kind of informed with those video game lines, as those were under Jesse Falcon's control, um, and used a lot of the same sculptors that would go on to do the, the early Marvel Legends. James Davis has a pick that appears quite a bit on this list, Cold Activated Iceman. Um, I had that. I love that. A couple other people called that out. It's a great pick. Brandon Michael Barker agrees with me. Space Wolverine epitomizes the whole era. Uh, the Spider Wars, Cyborg, Spider-Man is another amazing toy. The look of that figure is ripped straight from Eric Larson's Revenge of the Sin Sin Sinister Six run. Uh, which is the first book he picked up when he collected comics. On the sheer 90s awesomeness, he's going with X-Force Richter. He looked like he's pulled out of a hair metal video. Uh, you wind Richter up and he vibrates, mimicking his seismic powers, spawning all manner of juvenile jokery. Um, not a figure I had. I'm going to have to look that one up. Um, I also agree that Eric Larson run on Spider-Man was super important to me. Way more important than Tom McFarlane's run on Spider-Man, which I know is hearsay, but um, I truly believe it. And that, yeah, that Cyborg Spider-Man was great, and it seemed to coincide pretty quick with the debut of that comic, if I'm not mistaken. It felt like they were almost in lockstep with what was happening in the comics, which was really thrilling for me. JT says Tiger Stripe Wolverine is the first real action figure he got. His cousin had Cyclops. We had great adventures with them. Still have that figure today. Um, that's a great one. And I think all of the... I mean, the Savage Land is obviously hugely inspirational to me. It's the basis for my love letter homage of Pangea Island. I love all the characters that Toy Biz did from Savage Land. I always thought that was, that was really great stuff. JT's questions are... Are the new painted Radix molded out of two plastic colors, or is the top half totally painted? For Street Radix, I imagine his pants and shoes in pink, and his head, arms, and torso in the purple of the shirt. If so, is this something you think about uh, as you split up molds? Is it less expensive to mold in two plastics versus more paint? Also, are the pant triangles, tampos, or just awesome paint masks? Um, okay, so... Radic, all Radix are molded out of one color plastic. It would be way more expensive to mold them out of two. To change color on a injection machine, you have to let all the plastic run through. You have to stop the machine. You have to reset it. You have to load new plastic in. You have to heat it. It's extremely, uh, you know, costly in, in many factors. So my figures are typically molded out of a single type of plastic and then painted. Um... The pant triangles are tampos, to my understanding. But I agree, they did they did a fantastic job on them. Gavin Rader says this is going to be nearly impossible for him, but he was just eyeing up the Gen X Jubilee on eBay. Uh, when he first got it, he, fixed, uh, he fixated on playing with her, loved the rubber coat, the slip-on rollerblades, the tiny pink fireworks. Uh, she is the strangest cowboy stance I've seen, but damn if I wasn't smitten with that figure. Maybe with the excitement of finally getting a figure of the main character from the first episode of the 90s X-Men cartoon, Jubilee really meant to be the audience's POV in that episode. Close second would be the Eddie Brock Venom 2 with rubber removable Venom mask. Uh, he was huge into Maximum Carnage, and he loved the sculpt on that figures. Um, that's Nikki Fung's favorite figure, and it wasn't one that I had, but I picked up in recent years, and it is pretty fantastic. It's a lot of fun. Um, so I think these are all... Good picks. I, I got to look up specifically which Jubilee you're talking about. I think I have an idea of it, but I'm not entirely sure. So I want to see that one. And then uh, Gavin's question for me is uh, he wants to know about Chromega. I know Sen 5 is my next pick, but having a caveman figure excites him more. What kind of alternate heads could we get? Perhaps an anthropomorphic animal head like wolf or saber-toothed tiger? Or better yet, one wearing a dinosaur skin or bone headdress like a shaman? Do these ideas speak to me, and are they ever going to happen? So, this could change, but I would like to do another fundraising campaign for both figures at the same time, for Sen 5 and for Chromega. Given now that people have the thick boys in their hands and they understand how much cooler these would be with a couple more in that scale. So, I'm working on that. I'm not ready to make an announcement or fully commit to the campaign, but both of them would be part of it. Uh, there are, I have a lot of great contenders for alternate heads for Chromega. 
Um, fun fact, the hockey mask that's on Hacker Man was actually a Crow Mega head. And midway through that campaign, I decided we're going to throw it on there. It would look pretty cool. I could do Jason-esque figures. And I think it was a, a winning idea. But if you look, that mask is sort of carved out of bone or stone or something primitive. Um, that was actually an alternate head for Chromega. So in, in some respects, you already have a Chromega figure. But um, I take your point. There are a lot of great alternate heads planned. I will reveal them if and when the campaign happens. Based on your suggestions, you are not going to be disappointed. Kenneth West says he really liked the Toy Biz Ghost Rider line. Lee Mullick agrees with him. And I got to tell you, this is a line I passed on back in the day, but have in recent years started buying. Not easy to come by and kind of expensive. Fantastic figures, glow-in-the-dark paint, exploding features, hot neon colors, really out of this world. I, I love it tremendously. Um, later on, I'm going to get the question, what's a toy line I wish I had bought back in the day, that's probably going to be my answer because I, I slept on that and it is so out of this world fantastic. Not to mention one of the early lines that really started playing with additional articulation. There are ball jointed shoulders, you know, there's ball jointed hips. Really you start to see the DNA of getting closer and closer to Marvel Legends. Trevor Petkiss picks 1991's Talking Venom, I Want to Eat Your Brain. Uh, KJ Smith agrees with this. Now, I don't know if it's true for this Venom. I think this is a, probably a little too early. But a good portion of the talking figures are voiced by Jesse Falcon himself. Even up to a lot of the Hasbro Avengers figures. He is sort of the, the uh, go-to guy when they can't use talent for voice features. They get Jesse Falcon and he records the voice. So a lot of what you're hearing when you press that button is the man himself. So, fun fact for you. Trevor's question for me is, will there ever be a matching caliber kit for Toy Pizza logo device ninja? Material boy for said ninja? Will there be material boys for Mustard Knight? Um, let's see, no caliber kit, possibly material boy, but what is important to understand is material boys have, are more crucial to me now because of doing things like Frankenslice. So I can't always state that a Material Boy will be released in its whole, you know, it's in, in its entirety. It may be trickled out and utilized for very important Frankenslice and, and uh, hollow bag figures. So um, the good news is there are more of those things coming. The bad news may be that they may not come out in a sort of solid state because they are so crucial to the business of Knights of the Slice that they sort of have to become sacrificial lambs in some cases. Jake Meyer still has all of his old toy biz. His favorite was the Onslaught line. I think this is a very good line actually. The feral wolverine had real fur on his forearms. I pair him with my second fave, a Jubilee, a Jubilee, not the Gen X one. I believe she was part of some weird Sentinel robot line. I, I know the one you're talking about, really good good figure. Um, the rest of the Onslaught Live wave is awesome. A mummy apocalypse, a classic 90s suit, Jean Grey, even came with a little juggernaut. Um, also, honorable mention to Peter Parker Fig from the animated series. He was involved in all my battles as just a regular dude or bystander. I love that Peter Parker figure. I have that too. I think that's great. Um, these are all solid picks. Onslaught Wave also had a sort of Mattiera feel. He was very big at the time. Um, I think those are solid picks, especially that Jean Grey. We finally got like the definitive version of her, even though they were kind of figuring out posing for the females, and it was really a problem uh, for a very long time because they were just in very awkward poses. It, it's hard to do. It's hard to have a feminine sort of silhouette and have a functional action figure when you're only using that much articulation. Um, there's something to regular bystanders, right? There, there's something very compelling. I was always drawn to civilian characters alongside all of the superheroes, and I actually wanted more and more 
civilians. Um, part of the reason I like this Mission Impossible figure, I've been tooling around with this so much, uh, my affection for him as a kid was because he was just kind of a cool civilian looking guy. That's why I call upon everyone, hear my call to action, we must make uh, a boring salary man. That is my decree. We need more civilian action figures. Everybody who's making four-inch figures, um, we should band together and we should, uh, we should memorialize those brave professional management class people that still have to wear a tie. I think that the bankers and the day traders, um, you know, they're, they're truly the key, most important people in our, in our world. We should honor them with a figure. Lee Mullick says, Cable version 3. Uh, I have to agree with you. Very fantastic figure. Arguably one of the better versions of Cable. There's some ones that aren't great. Uh, and then Spacesuit Cable, which I, I would actually put above Cable version 3. Spacesuit Cable and Space Wolverine went on a lot of adventures together. And they're really awesome. I mean, a domed helmet, what more do you need? It's, uh, it's pretty great. Charlie Wrighton has a real curveball here. X-Men 2099 had the most visually dynamic and interesting action figures of the Toy Biz era. Tell me I'm wrong. I did not see this coming. He highlights Bloodhawk and Halloween Jack are two that he really dug. Um, I, I was not into the 2099 universe. I liked this, the look of Spider-Man, but I didn't read the book, really. Um... I'm gonna look this up right now. I wanna see, uh, let's go, toy. I'll put you down for a second. Toy Biz 2099. I mean, to me, I was an avid comic reader at the time. These characters were very forgettable for me. Um, but I, I do admit the Halloween Jack is kind of uh, compelling. He, he had a ton of articulation. So I could see the appeal there. Mean Street just kind of looked like a sort of Cyclops and Gambit ripoff. <laughs> um, who's this armored robot guy? This is kind of cool. Junk Pile, that looks like a cool figure. There's something to this. I, I don't think it's completely, uh, you're completely wrong. May not be for me, but uh, I think it's a solid pick. I'll allow it. Moving on. Dane says, gonna have to go with my personal favorite, Daredevil. First Marvel figure I bought from Toy Biz. Came in two colors, classic red and 90s armored, seven points of articulation, grappling hook gun. I let that finger swing off tables, hangers, chairs, car window. I still have them too. Dane, so funny you picked out this figure because I bought that armored Daredevil this past Christmas at Acme Toy Store in Orlando, one of the best toy stores in the world. Um, it's really cool. I had the classic red version, which was like this hot neon red. Um, I, I did the same thing. I, I actually made him kind of a grappling hook that didn't fire, just like a string, like a closer to his billy club thing. And I would swing him around like crazy. I thought it was a, a fantastic, fun figure. And that armored one is really interesting too, because it's, you know, as far as like redesigns of that era go, it's one of the better ones. And there were a lot of terrible takes on characters and heavy armored versions from the late 80s and 90s, but, but that one kind of holds up. And the fact that they sculpted a new figure for it is pretty interesting too. And I think, um, I think this is a reasonable, a reasonable one. Uh, Josh Guerra says his personal favorite, Secret Agent Wolverine in the green colorway. And the Ninja X-Men line was pretty incredible. So uh, Ninja Force, I agree. The, I almost picked these because I think that the Wolverine and the Sabretooth from Ninja Force line are so fantastic. And such a great value for the price. Cloth goods, snap-on accessories, and Matiura style. Um, God, I love those figures. Actually, fun fact, the Wolverine from Night Force Ninja, I took and digitally kitbashed a concept for the original Radic. And I showed how that he was articulated at the forearm with a bent arm. I showed that to Ann Suck, who did the original sculpt. And I said, this is what I want. Look at this, look at the, 
the proportions of the muscles, look where the cut joint is. This is what I see in my head and I want it. And uh, while we ended up scrapping Ant's sculpt and using Beef Strong's render, we actually went back and scanned Ant's proportions because he really kind of nailed that. So that figure is baked into the DNA of Raddick for sure. I think that the, the Secret Agent Wolverine is totally a good pick. I remember seeing that in your room when we were kids. And, you know, he came with just so many knives and swords and they all fit in their holsters. It, a very cool figure. I do think I like the black version better than the green version, but that's a personal choice. James Henna also agrees Iceman 2. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Iceman 2. This is different than the color change one. Um, this was sort of, I think this is Madeira uh, style as well. He kind of had this like chunky, rocky look um, in Age of Apocalypse, I believe. And they did make a figure of him like that. It had a sort of like pop-up uh, sheet of ice behind him and really cool snap-on gauntlets. I, I agree. This is a, a good one. And I think I would probably put it above that early color change Iceman, even though I, I loved that early Iceman figure. I do think Iceman 2 has a real funky mojo going on to him. Gabe Tovar has a question for me. What would Hackerman sound like voice-wise? Does he even talk? Would he have like one of those voice modulators perhaps to hide his true voice? Um, I'm not yet ready to reveal that. You will get to know what they are like and what they say. Um, as I've mentioned before, Hackerman are largely pre-verbal. Um, you know, if you think about the development of children and how long it takes them to be able to go from making sounds into making clear, concise words, let alone sentences. There is a aspect of development in speech with Hackerman, but there is different levels of intelligence and speech in Hackerman as well. There are varieties and we're going to meet them the rest of this year. You'll get to see the various levels of them. So uh, I don't want to say too much now, but it is something that is, uh, will be revealed soon. Lance Tomimoto picks Kroll from the X-Men line. He was one of the few characters he didn't know from the comic. He was obsessed with taking off his battle ponytail. He was a weighty figure with some mass behind him. He came with a cool gun too. Now he looks ridiculous when I look at him. While he's not a figure I owned, I do remember him and he does get points for actually being a bracelet that kids could wear. You could take his hair off and wrap it around your wrist with little dangly skulls. Uh, I also like the color scheme. I, I think this is a, it's a solid pick. It's not the pick I would make. Lance also asks, favorite Voltron Force pilot is, of course, is Lance. You know, I have to agree with you there. I think Lance is pretty great. Uh, I did recently get by itself the Mattel three and three quarter inch Voltron Lance and also um, Hunk. Is that the, the big guy? Um, not, not easy figures to come by. Every now and then there's Chinese sellers that have sort of imperfect, loose, incomplete figures. So I finally picked some up. They're pretty cool figures. I mean, they, the hardest part of anime figures is kind of nailing the face and the deco and making it look like an anime or like a manga. I think this line did a really good job, and I'd be interested in tracking down some of the other figures. I, I don't necessarily need the gigantic Voltron, uh, but I am interested in, in the characters themselves. Gordon McKinnon Hall, the New Mutants Warlock figure, was an awesome design, even though... I knew nothing about the character. Very similar to the Hyper Knight Noir color scheme now that I'm looking at it. Um, yeah, that's a great figure. I I wasn't a New Mutants, um, even prior to Liefeld coming in during like the Inferno saga. Very early, very terrifying stuff for me to be reading. Um, and I, I really, I was very sad when Doug Ramsey died. And uh, I think it kind of cheapened it to bring him back as Warlock, but I, I love the Warlock character. I thought he was really cool. Doug Locke, I think, is like, it's a semi-interesting idea, but it, it probably would have been better off if the character stayed expired. Uh, Gordon's question is, are Slashermen close combat specialists, or do they use firearms as well? It's a fantastic question. You're going to meet the sort of Slasherman variant in Turbo Atoll. They prefer blades, but all Hackermen can use all their tools, you know. Uh, just some of them have a strong preference towards certain instruments of destruction. Matthew Paquette, who is a self-professed G.I. Joe fan, is going to give you some answers that may not surprise you. 
Black Spy Wolverine and Omega Red. And it makes sense because I, I felt like those characters in those storylines were kind of G.I. Joe-esque, right? It was like spies and espionage and U.S. versus Russia, heavy military theme. It, it makes sense. It it uh, it fits into the profile of Matthew Paquette, I think. And, and also, great picks. Not bad figures by any stretch. Uh, Chris Warner likes Chain Whip, Ghost Rider, and as I've talked about, I'm really into that line. He also asked me, harder soft serve ice cream. You know, sadly, with my lactose intolerance and my avoidance of sugar, or added sugar, really, uh, I've been out of the ice cream game for a very long time. I tried making some sugar-free ice cream last year with almond milk and fresh cherries, and it just didn't work, so I've given up on ice cream. Quentin Russo, he picks Deadpool 2, and I think this is a great one, and this was on my short list. Um, this was the second version of Deadpool. It came out, it, it was re-released a couple different times with slight variants. Big, hefty, Liefeld chest, which I think the original Deadpool is kind of a better uh, sculpt or size. The, the highlight, though, is truly the accessories and the slip-off mask. This was a figure, um, while I parted with a lot of toys over a long time and I kind of came in and out of liking Toy Biz figures, I held on to Deadpool 2 for a very long time. I just thought he was so awesome. And it's funny to think of an era where Deadpool was anything but ubiquitous and completely annoying and, you know, having been co-opted by the, the mainstream. Because at the time, he was really great and very cool. Quentin also asked, Cenobite Hackerman, after witnessing the meat ambassador, I had to ask. Uh, I'm not a huge fan nor very familiar with Hellraiser and the works of Clive Barker generally. Uh, I've never seen any of the films or anything, so uh, I'm kind of cold on homages as it is, and it seems unlikely I would do one of a, you know, of a property I know very little about. Gary Arnold points out a fantastic early Toy Biz Marvel figure, Alien Fighters Galactus from the Silver Surfer series. Absolute beast of a figure and absolutely an amazing line. I would put it up there in the top three or four pre-Marvel Legends Toy Biz line. The Alien Fighters line is so fantastic. Um, that Galactus also comes with a... Silver Surfer entombed in a sphere, and he's sort of weighted, so no matter how you spin the sphere, he's always standing upright. Really just, man, fantastic. Uh, the, the whole wave and the, um, the sort of uh, creatures and aliens in that wave are, are really... I, I could talk forever about it. Maybe, maybe that's worthy of a deep dive. That is a fantastic series. Thank you for reminding me of it. Brett Lawson says... If there are racing teams in Turbo Ato, will they have their own logos? Um, yes, so much as time allows us to explore. There are definitely specific factions in the race at Turbo Ato. Uh, all the locations we know and love from the Knights of the Slice universe will be represented. Um, I would very much love to have distinct uniforms and logos and things like that, but it's going to be, in some respects, a race against the clock. Um, you know, how much can we get done? How how deep can we go into the details when the the body of work is so vast? Brian Doran uh, says his favorite Toy Biz Figures Guardsman from the Spider-Man line. Uh, that's a really good one, and I believe it was also a holdover from uh, the Iron Man line, if I'm not mistaken. I could be thinking of somebody else, but uh, I believe that's the case. Uh, his question is, uh, back when UV figures were first released, someone asked during Q&A if we were going to see a UV Desert Rat, and you said it would be difficult because the tooling for Desert Rat is much farther away from where the UV figures were being made. I was wondering why that is. I imagine cost. I know we still have the last standing, last stand Desert Rat coming, and he may in fact be the last DR, but if we ever get a revival like VJ, do you think we would move the tooling closer to other figures so you can have more options when choosing plastic colors? Um, so... I think I touched on this when that question was first answered, but I'm happy to dive back in. The What we tend to think of as a factory, quote-unquote, is actually an umbrella of many different companies, many different components, many different shops. So, 
To a layperson on the outside, hearing the term factory, you think of one giant building where everything is done. And that's just simply not the case, at least not in the respect of the scale in which I do my business, because I'm very small operation, you know, I'm making small batch whiskey, not Budweiser or Coors Light. So a factory is really a collection of different shops that each handle a specific component. Um, the tooling shop, which is the steel mold, is, I think historically in every factory I've dealt with, even for other people, has never been part of the key campus for, you know, the production line or things like that. So uh, my tooling is split between two different places, at least, that I know of. Could be even more uh, sort of factories and yards than I have seen or been exposed to. Um, so there are certain figures that are off campus from where the majority of figures are. And that is that is only as much as I know. It could be even more sort of convoluted and unclear beyond that. I can only sort of speak to the specific places I've been myself and the fact that goods arrive you know, relatively soon from uh, when they're supposed to. Beyond that, there's a lot of nebulous things and a lot of, you know, behind-the-curtain magic that I myself am not even privy to. In terms of moving the Desert Rat tooling so that I could utilize the UV effect the same way the other ones are, I think there's quite a few components going against that. One is the cost of UV is very great. And there are additional charges for that plastic, and there's additional charge in resetting the machine after you run the UV-sensitive material. Uh, the other thing is, UV figures did not sell incredibly well. I know this may be shocking to some because they are very popular, but part of the fact that they have been re-offered this year is because I didn't sell through the ones last year. So, a great deal of cost mixed with fair... To middling sales uh, makes that proposition pretty unappetizing. The other thing is, if there are different yards or different shops involved that hose that house different components of what makes up Knights of the Slice, it's actually a good thing, and I'll tell you why. When the supply chain gets disrupted, it may not be disrupted for all of those different outfits. It may only be a portion of those workshops or assembly lines. So let's say another wave of the quarantine happens in China. Half of my factory is knocked out. I still have that other series that I can go to and potentially make sure that there's some level of new figures coming in, albeit in a limited selection. So I do actually benefit by having these separate entities and these, these sort of uh, you know, different paths that I can take, while there are sort of obvious, you know, drawbacks to that as well. Patrick Colonia ends our patron questions with a really great statement that, that truly hits home for me. He says his favorite pre-Marvel Legends Toy Biz figure was the first Uncanny X-Men Brown Wolverine. And you gotta give props to this figure. I recently rebought it. I, I found it in a, uh, in a shop in Connecticut, small comic book shop, and they had it still in the package, 20 bucks, easy transaction. Who's going to say no? Um, like most of you, this was my my first entryway into this line. I had had Secret Wars figures and Superpowers figures, but that was several years prior, and they were usually tag sales or hand-me-downs and kind of busted up and broken. This was a first, like, comic book-based modern action figure. And I love that thing. Now, it debuted the same summer. I was like, I'm over action figures. I'm over toys. This is kids stuff. I'm putting everything up in the attic. I'm going to get into... I think comic books seem like cooler and older and more mature. Um, and I think I wanted a go-kart too. <laughs> that was, I viewed that as like a more manly exploit. Um, Sure enough, within a couple weeks, I ended up back in the attic, like, sweating profusely, playing with this Wolverine figure that I love so much, and truly being unhappy with 
what I thought was this shift, this choice I had to make to sort of put away the toys and become an adult. So I, I think that that's a very worthy figure, not because it's the best or the greatest sculpt or the most articulation. Um, it kind of pales in comparison considering everything Toy Biz did almost immediately after that. But as the first one and as the, the forefront, the forerunner, you know, that figure definitely deserves high accolades. And uh, thank you guys for all your input on the Toy Biz stuff. I think this was a wonderful discussion. It made me go and search out and look up things. And, um, you know, my goal is to... to produce a toy line that has some of that magical feeling and i think we're we're really getting close to accomplishing that so i thank you so we're heading over to facebook now for a couple more questions uh let's dive in with james jacob will we ever get a head sculpt showing the meat ambassador and hacker man face at some point I loves me some Jason-esque grotesque face sculpts. Um, I guess the immediate answer is no, or I don't know. There is a very big question about what is under this mask. Now, not every Hacker Man is the same. I know the answer for at least one style of Hacker Man, and it is a secret that will be revealed in upcoming comics, but again, not every Hacker Man is the same. Justin Doak has a great practical question here. What are some good guns, weapons for Raddick's hands? His grip is too big for most G.I. Joe guns, but I've had some luck with slightly oversized ones, like from the Corpse. Um, that would be Leonard Corpse, by the way. Um, the easy and immediate answer is Shikan's weapons. They fit perfectly. Um, there will also be a revision to Raddick's gloved hand at some point in the distant future. You, you're not going to see this on the most immediate upcoming styles, but I am going to modify one of his hands so that it can grip older accessories like the shotgun, the sword, etc. Uh, there will be a sort of retrofitting going on so that he can be rocking larger scale uh, equipment as well as smaller scale equipment. Um, right off the bat, also, Hackerman accessories work fantastic with Radix bigger mitts. They were intended that way. They were designed that way. So you can go and have fun with the shotgun right off the bat. Also the machete. Um, and then uh, I believe the Warlords of War accessories work fantastically well with Radic. So there are some in Glios universe solutions to this problem that you can solve for yourself right away. And uh, needless to say, there are future accessories that work for him. Here it is, the question from Kenneth Wesk. Is there a older toy line you never got into but wish you had? I'm going to say Toy Biz Ghost Rider for sure. Um, man, it would have been so easy to pick up that whole series on the cheap back in the day. And I just never thought about it. Charlie Wrighton, does Meat Ambassador have a weakness to fire? And if he... If cooked, is he better with steak sauce or ketchup? Asking for a friend, uh, I believe legally, I have to say, do not eat your toys. Do not eat Hacker Man. In the universe, in the story of Knights of the Slice, you may want to check out the story about Hacker Man's creation. You can find it on the website. And given that the base material of him is mentioned, I don't think it's something you would want to eat in universe either. Chris Loris asks for more info on Turbo Atoll, which I have spoken to already in this episode. Um, and then any chance for a RoboCop-style head? I don't think so. Uh, I guess Sen 5 is probably as close to a RoboCop-style character as we're going to get. The RoboCop head is so iconic that I can't really do a cover band impression of it without directly ripping it off. It is sort of that good. Um, so I, I, I don't... I don't know how likely that is. Matthew Ian says, What's going on with the pieces of comic pages that are being sent to some squires? They look like storyboards Storyboards for Turbo Atoll. Can you shed any light on these? Uh, Matthew, if you have a problem with shipping, I suggest you take it up with the warehouse. That's, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Moving on, Matthew's got another question or statement. Now that the recent 
Radic and Hackerman styles have sold out. When can we expect the next round of material styles for these guys? Itching to do a custom, but I'm hesitant to use a Night Force Radic or Molten Hackerman. I'd rather wait and use a different material, Beef Boy. Um, yeah, look, the these styles selling out in the past week were, was totally unprecedented. Honestly, Hackerman, they should have been in stock for at least three months. I was hoping to get six months out of it. But uh, as I said earlier, our our visibility has increased incredibly, you know, tenfold in the past month or so. And um, these are becoming very in-demand toys. It, it will take me some time to adjust, and I don't want to sort of take on more inventory before I know that this is not just a, a brief flare-up and not our new sort of quantities that we're dealing with. So hang in there. If you're at all apprehensive about the possibility for things selling out in the future, good time to get in on Patreon. Because of the worldwide crisis that's going on and people having to cut discretionary spending, I have, of course, opened up the $1 tier, which is not going to get you any monthly free gifts, but it will get you access to pre-orders and things like that. So if you, uh, if you have some hesitation about the volume of customers we're experiencing and your ability to get future figures, I think the $12 a year fee for Patreon is probably going to be worth the peace of mind. Regarding material styles, um, there, there are definitely going to be material styles of both Hackerman and Radic. Um, how soon is a really good question. I, I think, but I have not confirmed with myself in my own brain, that um, either Radic or Hackerman will be a material style as a gift for Patreon probably in July. Now, don't quote me on this, and it could change, but I, I would like to see that happen. As I mentioned earlier, material boys are becoming more and more precious to my process, especially now that I've essentially created an assembly line here in the workshop. So I, I like to kind of sit with styles for a while and just think on them. Think about their future application. Think where they might be good to slide into a Frankenslice or a hollow bag or something like that. So I'm a little less um, lubricated in my application of material styles. Uh, I'm trying to be more thoughtful and, and kind of look at the long game. But rest assured, they are coming and they will be an excellent material to utilize for customs and uh your best bet is that patrons will get that hookup first snake pike's got some excellent questions here he said will there ever be a figure of the character from the slime postcard comic maybe erratic uh this is definitely something i've thought about now this character predates radic but i do think you've done the right math in that realizing as have i this body type could work really well um not quite the same head there might be creative solutions for it this is something I thought about, not something I've sort of sat down and put pen to paper yet, so we'll have to see. Uh, he also rewatched Ghost in the Shell recently, and it reminded him of the time when a Batu homage Radic was brought up. How much possibility does that have of happening? Maybe a two-pack with Saima homage of Major. Um, I don't think very likely. I think that that's a better thing for fans to recreate for themselves as customs. Uh, I've seen some wonderful Battle Angel Alita takes on Cyber Mama, you know, I don't know that there's any anime that I am so passionate about that I need Cyber Mama to emulate it. Um, maybe one will come to me one day, but as I said earlier, I'm kind of cool on the homage idea at this moment. I'm enjoying my own original characters, and we have a lot of original characters to kind of focus on coming up. Um... Snake also says, as Meat Ambassador is sent to Turbo Atoll to meet with others, does this imply that he's more intelligent than the other Hackermen? It's an it's a, uh, entirely fair question, but the intelligence level of Meat Ambassador is going to be revealed when the Turbo Atoll story comes out. But I commend you for picking up on that little plot detail. Um, finally... Snake says he really likes Rey and Evangelion. What are my thoughts on her? You know, I think she is, she's probably one of the nicest harbingers of the apocalypse that 
that you're going to find out there for sure. Definitely an interesting character. Uh, her ultimate relationship to Shinji is quite a reveal. I think it's also it's interesting that it is sort of nebulous and and there are kind of different takes on her origins. But um, you know, for the thing that most anime fails at is it it their characters have a sameness. Right, I think that that's one of the biggest hurdles, both visually and story-wise. Characters have a real sameness and similarity to each other in all of the anime and manga properties. Um, where I think Ray is interesting, and and also largely the other characters of Evangelion, is that they they play with very similar tropes of a lot of anime characters, but they are twisted in ways that kind of set them apart and make them truly unique. And I think that that's, that's definitely the magic of, of Ray, if you know what I mean. So that is everything, folks. It seems like a very long Distazapod. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, stay tuned for more sales and more drops. Go hit up the Battle Tribe sale on Friday. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And the only thing left to say is pizza out. Pizza out.